Hello, and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Comics. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Hey. How's it going, Taylor? <laughs> oh, it's going well. It's been a while since we've done this. So it's kind of getting back in the groove a little bit. We took I a, know what you mean. Months. So tell the uh, any possible newbies the concept of the show in in a nutshell. Yeah, this is, I like to think about this as like adult reading rainbow. You know, at the end of the of reading rainbow with LeVar goes, you don't have to take my word for it. And then like three kids review books. We're those three kids, but there's two of us and we review comics instead. So <laughs> what we do... To, to better phrase that, what we do is we take uh, comics and graphic novels that we love and we uh, we go into this episode, each episode, neither of us know what the other has picked, and we do a review. And I think every book we've chosen so far is a book we wholeheartedly like. We have yet to pick a book that – I think either of us have yet to pick a book that's like, you know, stay away from this book. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that's coming sooner or later. But, yeah, for the most part, we, we, re- we do it that way. And we also pick books that are a little off the beaten path. You know, we'll do popular stuff. We'll do DC, Big Two stuff, Marvel stuff. Um, but a lot of our picks, as you'll find, are very indie uh, a lot of the times. A lot of image, a lot of drawn and quarterly, a lot of publishers you haven't even heard of. Um, but all, all basically, it's a way to give those kinds of books, um, you know, uh, a wider audience and a, a little bit more of a deeper dive. So the other thing we do is that usually we record these on uh, a Sunday morning when we were both drinking coffee. What That's are you right. drinking this morning? Yeah, the coffee, the, the very important coffee component of Coffee and Comics. I am drinking another AeroPress that I made about 30 minutes ago. I actually don't know what the beans are. Um, I, have, I have sort of collected so many beans. I think it's Kaladi Brothers, which is a locally based, well, Denver-based um, uh, uh, I was going to say distillery. That's not right at all. Roastery. Um, brewery? I, th- <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's Kaladi Brothers. I'm pretty sure it's Kaladi Brothers. Um, so it's, you know, just really good. Uh, I would say bright, earthy kind of, uh, kind of flavor. AeroPress makes really good coffee no matter what you do. And I always do the, I, I actually do the um, sort of the hack on the AeroPress, which is to flip it upside down, uh, put your grinds in that way, pour the water and mix it, let it sit for about a minute and then flip it back over on your cup and press it out. That's the uh, that's sort of the that's the Tim Ferriss hacked way to do it. Normally people just you know have it over their cup, pour the water in. The, the problem with that is if you do it that way you lose a lot of the it, it you know some of the the first water in is the first water out so you lose some of the flavor it waters it down too much. If you flip it over it it, it evenly distributes the flavor, um, the heat, everything it just it's more consistent. Mm. So so yeah, how about you? Uh, so this morning I am, uh, I've got, I got some beans from, uh, well, I got grounds of beans, um, from kicking horse coffee. Ooh. I've got the three sisters roast. Um, and as a coffee Philistine, I couldn't tell you what the hell it tastes like. Ah. Uh, I did, uh, we, we, we chatted shortly before we started recording and the few sips of it I had right then were, um, it was, it was like a, it says it's a medium roasty, but it, it, it felt pretty rich and dark to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the label tells me that it is smooth, savory, and seductive. <laughs> of course, uh, I naturally Do you feel seduced, dis- Todd? Do I you disagree feel- with that. Yeah. It's like that one I had for weeks that was tropical fruit. And I was like, no, it's like chocolate. I don't what. I, what's wrong with my palate. Um, but it, I, it felt kind of dark to me, even though it was a medium. Um, but then right before we started recording, I screwed it up, <laughs> put more milk in it um, and a little bit of vanilla syrup. Cause I wanted to kind of cut that like way too darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it is like 
I went too far on the other way, but that's okay because once I sip it down a little bit, I'll uh, I'll put some more coffee in and I'll be okay. I want to. Uh, I, I just want an episode of this where you just read off the descriptions of different magazines <clears throat> because it's like yep. it, there's always sort of a, a certain skepticism every time you say it. I honestly, you should see me because um, a couple times I've bought these uh, in my local Ralph's, which is like a, a Kroger's, you know. M- but I'll, I'll go to the ground beans, you know, and you should see me in that aisle where I'm overwhelmed with like different brands and I'm looking at them just like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way that this one is, you know, <laughs> rich and fruity and this is sweet. And there was one uh, that when I was looking at the three sisters the other day um, that described itself as both sweet and savory. Oh, wait, am I looking at that? No, this one was a savory one. But anyway, it was two conflicting, uh, you know, color designs and I was, or, you know, palettes. And I was like, that, that's not right. You hear <laughs> that, that coffee companies? Todd doesn't believe your lies. <laughs> lies. It always tastes like coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we've, um, got, we've got an addition to our coffee picks. We have got two uh, books today to talk about. Uh, do you want me to go first? You want to go first? Which? Um, oh, I, I, I I don't care. I was. Uh, <laughs> Did I, I steal care. your thunder? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought you were about to pitch it to me. I was just ready to read names off to you. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's start with you because mine's going to be kind of short and sweet. So I'm curious to oh. see what you uh, if you're ready to go. Um, yeah, um, you're reading this week. Uh, yeah, I I went into the bookshelf um, and uh, pulled out an old book that I've had sitting there literally for years and haven't read which is so stupid, but um, uh, I, I don't know how it got overlooked, you know? It, it, so anyway, I, um, I, I picked, and, and maybe you can Google this while I say it, but I picked a, a graphic novel called the new teen Titans games by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Uh, so when I was, um, I'm hoping when you Google it, you will tell me what year it was published, but uh, uh when I was getting into comics when I was like 12 years old or whatever, um, I read a lot of teenage superhero books. That was just like power pack teen Titans, um, you know, new mutants. Uh, that was what I read. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so at that time, Marv Wolfman and George Perez were at the height of their new teen Titans run classic eighties, uh, um, franchise like they <clears throat> i believe um i want to say they took it over in 80 um they had a good long run on teen titans and new teen titans i don't remember it exactly when it switched to the new but um at some point it did and so uh they tell this cool story in this book where basically when the run wrapped up in 88 um they had this idea for a graphic novel uh and um it started working on it. And so this was in 1988 and they got like 75 pages of art done, but they were waiting to do the dialogue and everything. They had the plot, but um, they're waiting to do the dialogue because uh, they, um, they wanted all the art to be done. Um, this, this Wolfman was the writer. Perez was the artist. And so Wolfman didn't want to write the dialogue until everything was plotted out. Cause he wanted to be as sharp as possible. This is his story in the beginning of this book. Um, and then Perez didn't finish the art. They both got on other projects, started writing other stuff, you know, went through some writer's block, moved to different sides of the country. Like, so they decided to get back together and do it. And, and this uh, DC would not let 
uh, Wolfman go ahead with another artist. Not that he wanted to do that, but it was sort of like, nope, it's just, it's the two of you or it's nothing. Um, so this project sat around for like 25 years. So, um, they, I, so do you have the year yet? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, it's there's, com- there's conflicting information. So, uh, Wikia, the, uh, the fandom powered by Wikia says 2011, but dccomics.com says 2013. I want to say it's, uh, I, I think it's 2011 actually. Okay. Um, and so I've probably had this book since then because wow. I bought it soon after it came out and didn't read it. Um, at, for one of those dumb reasons, like I was like, no, I'm going to go back and read some of those old teen Titans comics. Um, and recently in my recent, and it just sort of disappeared, you know, and just sort of sat on my shelf and until I forgot about it. That is the, the terrible fate of TBR piles, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and recently on trips to my comic shop, I've noticed that DC is republishing the entire run of Wolfman Perez teen Titans mm. in uh, nice, you know, they're soft cover, but in nice collected editions. Uh, and, and, um, it was also one of the first, it, it's gotta be the first book I'm aware of that did great story arcs, you know? So there was like, they were the ones who turned Robin into Nightwing. Mm. And I just remember this one issue where the cover of it is Robin's uniform on the ground and uh, flashes kid flashes uniform on the ground and their backs are towards the viewer and they are walking away. And it was such a dramatic cover of this, uh, you know, of the series. You're like, Whoa, mm-hmm. <laughs> Robin and kid flash just quit. Yeah. But it turned out that they were sort of going through this identity crisis and they both, you know, came back with, uh, you know, one comes back with, I'm the flash and, and uh, uh, Dick of course comes back as Nightwing. Um, and there was the marriage of Donna Troy, who was uh, Wonder Girl. Um, and then there was this whole great series on this um, sort of villain, sort of spy, uh, Tara. Uh, and I believe she was involved with Deathstroke somehow. It was, it, was, it was crazy when I was a kid to be like, wow, these are like soap opera arcs, you know? So anyway, yeah, DC's yeah. republishing all that. And that was always, that was in the back of my mind. And um, when we started kicking up Coffee and Comics again, and making it, you know, a real regular weekly thing. I, I pulled this, I found this, pulled it out of the shelf and went, okay, I'm, I'm definitely knocking this out. So, so had, had you read it prior to that? No, I, ah. that's the whole thing. Like I bought it cause um, when it came out and it was hard, it was hardbound. And I think it was a thing where like, I super curious about it, but I knew I wasn't going to read it right away, mm-hmm. but I bought it because um, one of them signed my copy. I can't remember which one oh, um, because the, the store just had signed copies there. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, Oh yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it, it, here's the one he signed and, uh, or one of the ones he signed. So I, yeah, I bought it sort of added it to the collection just because of that. Mm. Um, gosh, how do I not even know? Yeah, it was Marv Wolfman. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, yeah. It was like a collector's piece and, I, I just slept on it, which I'm, I'm sorry to say. Anyway, uh, the if you've you've Googled it, I'm sure you were looking at the art. It mm-hmm. is perfect art of the time. And mm-hmm. like it, it captures that 80s thing. And I'm not really sure in the story, um, you know, that uh, Wolfman tells at the beginning. I think um, 
I, I, I want to say that they went back and used the original 75 pages that they'd created in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, and you watched the Teen Titans cartoon, I believe. I watched I, the original one that was right. about 10 years, 10 plus years old. Now, I haven't seen that new kind of more Powerpuff Girls looking one, which doesn't yeah, really yeah. interest me. Which is actually kind of funny. I've watched a few episodes of it um, with with children. So, you yeah, know, they were very much into it. Um, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't I don't know that there's a reason to watch it on your own. That's kind of weird. But um, uh, anyway, you're probably familiar with a character I believe is called Beast Boy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, in the '80s, I I'm really really sure he was called Changeling. Um, and they just they usually just called everybody by their first names. That was kind of the interesting deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, so he was like uh, Garfield Logan. Uh, so anyway, I, I bring him up only in that the first whole, like whole two thirds of the book, he has an extremely uh, noticeable and uncomfortable mullet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes me think that they went back and were like, yeah, we're going to use the original pages we drew yeah. in 88 when he was sort of maybe a senior in high school and he'd, you know, decided he needed a party in the back <laughs> um, because it is super out of style. <laughs> is it as jarring as Superman's mullet in various books Much over the years? more jarring. Okay. <laughs> like Superman has that Roland Orzable, uh, Jerry, <laughs> Seinf- Jerry Seinfeld kind of like neck Roland hair. Orzable. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, and uh, Garfield in this has uh, just um, like – it's like a buzz cut on top and like for those of you, for those of you who aren't familiar, Roland Orzabal is the uh, one half of tears for fears. So if you're yeah. sitting out there going, who the hell? Like Jerry Seinfeld's a, hair twin. Yeah. Yeah. It's an impressive pull. But like, if you're, if you, if you want to brush up on your eighties knowledge, just, just throw that out there too. <laughs> How um, do they I, real quick, real quick. I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at all the different art. And one of the things that jumps out at me too is uh, uh, Starfire looks a lot like how they would, present gene gray or um uh i believe you mean raven no 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 no. i'm talking about starfire really okay at least at least in the pages i'm seeing here she looks a lot like how they present uh gene gray or um um the hell is the the x-men with the white hair my god rogue no rogue Rogue. um in the x in the 90s x-men cartoon which very, again, very felt very eighties. Like the, just the, the way they drew that cartoon felt very eighties, but it was a lot of like flow, big poofy flowy hair, almost like Reba McIntyre hair. Um, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. It's, just, it's, it's got that. It's, it's a very, if you're familiar with the teen Titans via the original animated series, this is, this definitely is a, is a retro kind of look and feel just warning you all right now. Well, it's uh, it, it, yeah, it is a, um, the spitting image of what they drew in the eighties. Like yeah. she, that's the, that's the thing that's kind of weird about the, the um, uh, changelings look is that he didn't have that mullet. Maybe he did at the very end of the run and I just don't remember it, but <laughs> that's not what he looked like in the comics. I read they've sort of like that character design is different, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, but Starfire with her super Reba McIntyre, like feathered <laughs> hair. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean with the rogue rogue had this great feathered hair. Oh, yeah, man. I was reading the X Men. Uh, uh, yeah, on that great. Um, uh, that was a good run. Claremont. Oh, and am I am I right too? Yeah. I'm looking at Nightwing, and I'm assuming this is Nightwing. He's got like the the very deep V neck, like yep. popped collar, like look. Oh yeah, popped collar. It's it's like that Nightwing costume. That's it's like the most kind of like I don't even know how you describe it. It's it's the most uh, theatrical. Let's just say 
uh, Nightwing costume that I've I've ever seen. It's not it's not the one you've seen from the if you if you're like me and you know most of these characters through the DC animated series, this is not that. This is a different sort of look yeah. and feel. He is vivacious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's like a deep, deep V neck, like down to the navel kind of V neck. Also. Uh, just in a great sort of cheesecake thing. There's a, there's a great sequence at the end where like Nightwing's in the hospital and then they, uh, and so he's shirtless while they're um, stitching him up and uh, suddenly they're called away. Like, Oh no, we've got to get back to the tower or whatever. <laughs> and he goes there shirtless. <laughs> I was like, dude, you can't grab your shirt. <laughs> I don't what like what a weird thing to do to be like just give ah, him a t-shirt that. that says DC on it or something you know, like give him right. something which is that honestly that's a great 80s thing that they included because um the, in today's you know sort of comics milieu things are a lot more realistic about what what kids are like and what's you know like social media is like and style is like and that's exactly what they would have done they would have grabbed some t-shirt and just thrown it on him that had some sort of ironic you know, design or, or whatever. So um, yeah, that is very eighties to have this like cheesecake moment of like the, you know, the hunk bursting into the office shirtless. Um, so anyway, the, this, what's really interesting is, and, and this may also be because it's from you know, because this story originated in the eighties is it, it, there is nothing that is like a, it, it is a nostalgia trip to read it and look at the art and talk about these things like their hairstyles and their costumes, but it is not self-referential in that way. Mm. Like it is not a, this is not a band reunion tour. You know, mm. it's not 25 years in the future talking about the good old days, Got you know, or, or 30 years in the future at this point. Um, it's, it, it's uh, uh, very much like it's a standalone book. They, you know, they talk about this in their uh, um, introduction that they, um, you know, they wanted to just sort of put the period at the end of the sentence. They'd both gone on to different series and they felt like, let's just do one big capper of Teen mm -hmm. Titan stuff. And so it's very much like that. Like it's a standalone book. You don't need to be aware of the various dramas that the characters went through uh, <clears throat> in those eighties, in the eighties run that they did. You don't need to, um, you know, you're going to pick up wherever it is. Uh, it's just like watching a movie of that era of teen Titans. And because it's the original guys putting it together, it's perfectly captured in the period, you know, like that, that's, that's the whole thing about the costumes is nothing's updated. Like this is like 88 frozen in time in a story. Um, so towards that story end, it, um, it, I, I, it involves a, a, a sort of, it starts with this guy that's a CBI agent. I, I can't remember what that is. Central Bureau of Intelligence or something. They they create this new department that's like not the FBI and not the CIA. It's the CBI. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so he is being, um, there's an attack. There's not, an, you don't see an attack. You just see some, you know, uh, what you assume are like military personnel discovering all these dead bodies at a certain location um, and they, they're trying to rule out, is this a chemical attack or a nuclear attack or, you know, terrorist attack, what's going on. Um, uh, but then they see in blood on the wall, your move Faraday. And mm -hmm. so it's calling out this one agent of the CBI, which shows that this was some personally motivated attack. And so this shadowy government council, 
Um, they are literally depicted in shadow, just like when uh, Sam Jackson uh, as Nick Fury goes to the his New World Order panel in Civil War or not Civil War in Winter Soldier. Um, you know when he he like appears before that like tribunal kind of thing, and it's just all these shadowy figures in the dark. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, this and guy, one of them is like Powers Booth for some reason. Yeah, and 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 Nick Fury. We're supposed to believe Nick Fury didn't know he was working for this yeah. Hy- Hydra New World Order thing. Um, sure, Nick, you useful idiot. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. So there, so Faraday goes before this and they, they tell him they're going to suspend him. And right before he's suspended, he goes through his computer files again and gets all these uh, files on the teen Titans shows up the teen Titans and says, here's what's going on. And they don't know whether to trust him or not because he's kind of an asshole. Um, but there is, uh, at the, at the time I was reading it, I was, um, it, it took me a minute to get into the rhythm of it because it's very much like a movie where it opens with some action you don't understand. You know, it doesn't really tie into the Titans and the main characters. Then it introduces this new character. I'm not sure if Faraday had been in other books before. He was new to me. Um, and, you know, and it's like all the pieces are being put in place, but it's possible as a viewer to go, God, where are they going with this? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, but I knew, I knew like, oh, this is the rhythm of a movie where all that, the, the sort of, you know, inciting incidents are happening in this order. And then we're going to meet the heroes and they're going to be confronted with all the sort of evidence of it, you know? So he shows up at Titans tower and says, I need your help. Here's what's going on. This we hired uh, several years ago, the government started running these um, what they called blue sky scenarios where they just asked uh, all these, I I guess experts or, or I don't know if they're particularly games inventors, but people to come up with like crazy things they hadn't thought of that they might need to defend against. And this one who called himself the games master um, Faraday thought was uh, a little too serious about it. (laughs) And he fired him. Um, And now the games master was getting back at him by putting in like enacting one of these blue sky scenarios. Um, And this blue sky scenario is uh, involves the Titans and it's one of those, you know, like, like you've seen in uh, movie plots before, um, a sort of specialized way to take out each Titan and also hit, hit them where it hurts. Um, so I, I, you know, it's like, I wouldn't just, dis- I mean, I, I, I'm wrestling with the idea of like original, you know, like, is it, is that an or- original plot or is it just a good plot for the teen Titans? Um, because it didn't feel unoriginal to me, but so it also, you know, but it also felt like I knew enough about where they were going that I was able to sort of skip over like a bunch of details. Keep in and, mind though, like when this was first conceived, we didn't have the, 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 you know, past 25 years of movies repeating some of those tropes again and again and again. So it probably true. at the time felt slightly more, if not even a lot more original. Um, then it, then, then it, you maybe if, if this had come out it originally, you know, when it originally was kind of planned, you wouldn't feel as much that way. I, I don't know. Just oh, that's a really good coming, point. Coming um, between. Yeah. I, I, I didn't feel like uh, this is a trope that we've explored enough. I felt like mm-hmm. they were using the trope in order to shortcut some of the storytelling mm-hmm. where a lot of the books you and I read as ongoing series, even when they're presented in arcs like that, um, you know, for example, like Saga or Black Science or like even Chew, these are those creators have made this wholly unique universe 
And there are so many clues and references and, uh, you know, things like that, that if you pick up, uh, you know, trade paperback number five of Chew, you might really enjoy it because that's the start of a new arc, but there's going to be all these references back to, you know, um, this felt like I don't need to nitpick all the details of Faraday because I already understand the, the sort of, you know, again, I hate to call it a trope, but the sort of trope of like, yeah, this, this one evil dude has figured out how to hit each individual Titan where it hurts and to separate them all. And um, that is where, uh, you know, that's where we're going. So (laughs) (laughs) they got to figure it out. Um, So uh, yeah, you know, because of that and because, so, you know, they don't do it as a reunion tour, um, you know, because it's like a very much we picked we're picking up where we left off, but it's 25 years later in actuality, this plot allows them to, to separate, you know, to tell short character stories about each of them uh, because of the way they've been separated and picked out. So because they realize, well, there's this um, possible menace coming to each of you and your families, they they have to go uh, uh, various members like go and tell, you know, their loved ones like, Hey, we've got to put you in a safe house. We've got to like Raven goes and spends time with her mother. Okay. She she does things like she leaves her communicator behind and goes and rides horses with her mom. And, um, and that also uh, means that she doesn't receive a communication when in uh, Vic's story, cyborg, uh, oh crap! I forgot her name. <laughs> uh, yeah, the um, the woman who helped him with rehabilitation that he's like very very close to uh, mm-hmm. is taking all these kids out. They're all on a school bus, so it's all these kids with like cybernetic and prosthetic uh, uh, limbs, and um, they find out there's a bomb on the bus, so they have to get all the kids off. But the kids don't walk that well, and so they can't get far enough away from the bus. So uh, Vic's friend jumps back into the bus and just starts driving it to get the bus as far away from the kids, you know? So they, the Titans realize what's going on and they try to get in touch with Raven because they know Raven can teleport to the bus and just pull her out. Um, but Raven's communicator is, you know, left behind because she's out riding horses with her mom. And so there's like these cool little character things where if you know the characters, you're getting to sort of spend time with each of them alone even though it's, it's kind of terrible time and, you know, ways like that, like Vic's experiencing a tragedy, but, um, and Vic of course can't make it there because he, his grandparents are on a yacht, like on a cruise, sorry. And he has flown the Titans jet to meet this like, um, a, a, a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean to get his grandparents off of it so that he can protect them. And it's right then when he gets the call that there's this bomb on this bus, Mm, okay. so he, has to, he has to choose to leave his grandparents behind, jump back on the jet and try to make it to the school bus in time. So anyway, you get, you get that sort of uh, a family life with each of them. Um, and you get, and you get those moments, Dick, of course, like it's funny. They don't try to do anything to his family because they, obviously, the games master has obviously figured out that his family is Batman and he's mm. like, I'm not going to fuck with them. <laughs> um, yeah. So there is actually like a, a panel of, of, of Dick going like, yeah, we'll crush him. But you've already spent time with Dick alone because he's in this in their version of the Teen Titans, he is very much like the leader. Like that, okay. it's a real interesting '80s 
position of like, he is the team leader, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not a democracy. Like they're, it's like a, you know, it's like a, like a police force or a military unit or something like they look to their captain. So you already, how, but I mean, yeah. he, he's just doing what Batman taught him. That's exactly. How, if you look at any of the bat family books, it's like Bruce Wayne's, you know, word is final. And usually almost every, every situation. Yeah, exactly. So you've spent time alone with him because like Faraday approaches him first and you see him. uh, I was actually about to say shirtless, but I flipped to the page and he's not shirtless. So apparently I'm just imagining Dick Grayson shirtless in places where he's not. Todd, what, what on earth is this? Are we, are we reviewing something new here? That just, he he is very, I mean, like they draw him very, uh, you know, very sort of what's, what's the, the male gate is on him. Uh, A beefcake. Yeah. yeah, He's, he's, he's beefcakey. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also worth noting for the record, by the way, uh, Starfire in this basically has like a thong and a very, very tiny little like skimpy top. And that's basically it. Like when we talk yeah, about she, <laughs> I, I, you, you mentioned Reba McIntyre hair, but for obvious reasons, uh, and I'm sorry to say such a, a, a pig headed comment, but she always reminded me of like Dolly Parton. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like yeah, it yeah. was like this, they have taken the Dolly Parton, like, boobiest like big harassed you know like moment of of uh best little whorehouse in texas and uh and just put her into like this orange skin and a weird thong bikini thing um, yeah, yeah they, they kind of i i actually think this is a little bit cleaned up on the starfire cheesecake than it used to be uh but i'm not sure it may just be that when i was you know, a preteen that I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> She's not wearing anything. It's one of the uh, things and, that actually kept me away from comics as a, as a yeah, young, a young lad. Cause I'm just like, Oh God, like how I, I don't know for whatever reason that just, that was off putting to me back in the day. And I, cause I'm just like, what, there's that aesthetic. <laughs> I, it, it's weird hearing you describe it. Now looking at it, you know, in the context of this and you know, uh, you know, time and everything like it makes perfect sense, but just that aesthetic even like the, well, the Robin popped collar thing, like in dead man used to be yeah. drawn like that a lot too. Like it, that oh, never yeah. really jived with me until recently. So you're saying the aesthetic, not the sort of over sexualization of the characters. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand, right? Like, right. It's kind of hard well, to separate, but, but even like, like for example, cyborgs wearing like when I'm, what I call the thaw, like the, uh, the jockstrap cyborg. Dude, there, is that not what he wears? Because there's, there's a shot in this, probably several from behind where he's like, <laughs> You know, he's standing in a crowd and the camera like angle, like I would say is sort of behind him. And that was when I was very aware of like, why is like his butt cheeks covered? But then there's like an inch of leg skin, an inch of cyborg, an inch of leg skin, an inch of cyborg, and then like a boot. Like at that point, why didn't you just make both of his legs cybernetic? (laughs) I don't. Why does does the butt have to end? (laughs) It reminds you oh. a lot of what Lilu wears when she's first yeah. revived the fifth element. That oh sort of white. You nailed it. That yeah. white kind of Larry, like weird, like why? Like what, what, were the, what was the choice here? Like just, they could have just given her like a unitard thing, but instead they're like, we're going to put it here and there's going to be this strip over here. I, it's well, funny. I never knew Cyborg ever had that costume until last year when people were posting about, you know, like the Cyborg costume in the Justice League movie was, was shitty. And somebody's like, oh no, no, no. This is the original shitty Cyborg costume. And that, kind of made the rounds and i was like oh oh okay i guess this was a we in the 80s anything anything went we just we weren't it's it's interesting like we just weren't as a comics buying group sort of either demanding enough or we just didn't realize that you know it could be a lot more grounded and real 
Um, well, I, I think it's an interesting point you bring up about, like, <clears throat> I brought up that, uh, you know, were you concerned by the over-sexualization of it? Because I think as a kid, it, it, there was a definite... Um, yeah, there was a definite like uh, mixed feeling about it. You know, mm-hmm. when I, I mean, cause seriously, I read this when I was like 12, 13 years old. Um, I, I, there was something very titillating about Starfire being dressed in as little as she was and mm-hmm. being like extremely voluptuous, you know, um, not to mention like she and, and Dick were like crazy horny in the eighties mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it felt very much like I was reading like in a, like this is kind of an adult story. This kind of makes me uncomfortable, you know, but on that, on the other hand, now as an adult, I'm like, what the hell were two men in their thirties or forties doing writing a book about teenagers? Yeah. yeah. Like it is the teen Titans, you know, it's not like the young people's Titans or whatever, the young adult Titans. Um, So it was very, it it was, it walked a line, you know, (laughs) um, Fun fact, uh, my little band, the Carter administration, I once wrote a song about Starfire and how inappropriate her costume was. Oh, (laughs) go to soundcloud.com, wherever you list these S clause, soundcloud link is. Go to today.bandcamp.com. Um, yeah, uh, (laughs) what what was it even called? Uh, it was called Hot Sex Bikini Contest. Boom. That's what I called my song about Starfire. Now you know the, the the secret to that song. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a conflict. Um, so anyway, I bring that up because there's at least one line in his introduction and then like one line in the book where there's definitely like an objectification of a female character. And it hit me reading it, you know, as a man in my forties, like, oh, that, yeah, that's that, you know, that's sexist. <laughs> And when I was, um, and I was confronted with this sort of different uh, reality of like, you know, would I, would I have done that the same way? Do I excuse it? Because that was sort of the, you know, you think of the era that these guys were brought up in of like sixties and seventies comics, um, were probably not as racy looking, but had just the same effect, you know, like when, when these guys saw wonder woman, when they were 14, uh, she was wearing very little clothing, you know, even though she wasn't drawn as, as realistically and, you know, uh, voluptuous as uh, Starfire, you know, it had the same effect. Yeah. So are they yeah. just sort of following in that cheesecake tradition? Do we, you know, where, where do we put the accountability for this? Anyway, it was, it was interesting because I guess it hit me as someone reading this in 2018 going, okay, so how does the 1980, you know, on one hand, that's perfectly 1988 way to go. (laughs) Like you made a comment about Starfire's looks and, you know, one of the characters did. Um, But anyway, it was just uh, uh, either a, they, either they nailed the time period um, uh, or, or they still kind of think that way. And it's weird, but it it was not, I wouldn't, you know, I I don't think it was lewd or leering or anything. It was just kind of an offhanded remark about her looks. It says yeah. a lot though that, I mean, I, every time this kind of stuff comes up or we reference something from the eighties, it's ever more clear to me how, how damn revolutionary the dark Knight returns was. Cause it, it <laughs> kind of put aside all that. It was like, we're going to show you this as realistically as possible. You know, like there was, we look at it now and go, Oh yeah, that, that, that seems natural and normal. But at the time that must've been just a jarring, jarring, com- like, you know, coming from something like this to an old Clint Eastwood Batman with a Joker. Who's just like, you know, wearing basically like a, a, you know, a suit, a white suit jacket. And that's essentially like, there's not a lot of, 
know, they didn't put Carrie Kelly in like a sexy Robin costume. They're like, here's the Robin costume that we sold at the costume store, and she's wearing that. You they know, did make, they didn't make Catwoman like a really used up prostitute, right? Yeah, but she wasn't like, you know, she was kind of the madame of that. Well, like she they didn't wasn't try- sort of victimized by or exploit. It was not a leering look at her. I, exactly. I yeah, exactly. it was. It was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I, I bring that up because I, because of that uh, interesting, like generational thing and looking back at the eighties, but then there's another moment where um, in front of this, you know, at the end in the summer, like at the, you know, uh, what are, the denouement, they, um, Nightwing is in front of that shadowy New World Order, you know, tribunal kind of thing with the, the men in the shadows telling him what's going on and, or, you know, how how they're going to treat him and Faraday and et cetera. And, uh, uh, the, and these men say, you know, we're not going to be told about right and wrong by some teenager. And it like, I, that hit me like a ton of bricks this week because I think this is exactly what the fucking NRA and all of these like right wing assholes are saying about these children uh, from Parkland who have been uh, speaking out, who were like you know present at a massacre mm-hmm. and have been speaking out. And this is the same line that these that they've been saying. You know, they, these teenagers need to go back and you know uh, learn their politics or whatever. Yeah. And it's like how dare you be so dismissive? And yeah. it was so. Yeah. Anyway, I don't I don't bring up the. Uh, the objectification to sort of smear these people. I, I bring it up in that, like uh, all of this conflict about age and what's appropriate, uh, you know, whether it's violence or sexuality or, or morality or whatever. It was just, these are the things I thought, you know, as a dude in his forties, reading this comic book that he used to read when he was 12 years old. Gotcha. And um, yeah, it, it uh, so overall, like I, I really enjoyed it. It's like a, it's a great nostalgia trip for me. Um, and if you are, you know, a fan of the eighties comics or something, I think this is a great thing to pick up, but it's not something that I would just say, anyone go pick it up. You know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I, yeah, I think I've, I think I've, I've given you the, the, the correct impression about the plot and how it works on different tropes, you know? Um, so it's not like you're going to see some plot that you've never seen before. Or so, so that's, you know, it's, it, it it, it kind of limited its own audience. Um, even though it's not a reunion tour, uh, it, it feels very specific to those readers. But, but I, I think there are just, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, millions of readers of this. And that's why DC is republishing all of the Wolfman Perez teen Titans these days. So got it. Anyway. Um, two quick questions for you. Yeah. Does, you had mentioned early on that the dialogue was not, uh, part of the original writing drawing process and it was added later. I'm glad you came back to that. Yeah, does it feel at any time that, that that like it was forced in there or like tacked on or unnatural? Because that, I've never heard of that actually happening before, where where the where the baseline story and the art was done before the thing was even written. Like that seems very backwards to me. Does it does it feel, or do you notice that at all? I know there were a couple moments where I wondered about that, like where I would just sort of second guess because it's very weird. Like uh, Wolfman writes the introduction, so I'd read his story of like that. That's where he, he talks about that in the introduction. And then Perez writes uh, an epilogue um, at the end or an afterward. Um, And so I went into the book knowing that, you know, I went in knowing like, Oh, he didn't write this dialogue until after it was all plotted out. Um, And uh, so there are a couple moments where I just wondered about it, but I wouldn't, I, I don't think it suffers because of that. 
Like, I think his instinct was right on, which was, we know exactly what's going to happen in the panels, but I'm going to wait to write the actual dialogue until I can make it like as succinct and snappy as possible. And especially because they ended up transposing this, you know, to 25 years later or whatever, the, um, it's, it's better because there is no like anachronistic language that he is either having to go back and correct or whatever. Um, so I think that worked out a lot better for them if that was indeed their process. Um, and nothing was actually, you know, typed out in the dialogue. Cause it sounds like, the plot was, you know, he also tells the story of how they figured out like the last sort of third of it, you know, they knew where they were going, but they'd sort of left out some big chunks. And so they did have to replot some stuff to figure it out. Um, so yeah, it's not like the whole book was wrapped up and then he just came back in and wrote dialogue. It's, they very much had to work and tweak it. So that's why I'm not really clear, like what 75 pages, you know, what from those originally 75 pages like exists in this book. Got it. Another question we often ask on this show is physical or digital. Well, obviously, I got the physical. Um, I I, and mine's uh, hardback uh, and signed by Wolfman, so it was very much like an artifact to put on the shelf. Um, It's a little bit oversized, but it's not. It's not super like thick. Um, It's sort of the normal length of a graphic novel, but it's slightly oversized. uh, uh, A paper. It's not like a trade paperback that's just eight and a half by eleven. You know. Um, and it's, uh, I, I'm sure the story would translate fine in digital. In fact, the colors as true as they are to the eighties colors, but you know, advanced with digital coloring techniques would probably look great in digital. Mm. Uh, but I, again, I could sort of think the audience for this is probably guys like me, um, uh, or, or, or women my age who read this, although I, because of the, the cheesecake factor, I, I'm willing to bet that most of the 1980s Teen Titans fans were boys. Yeah. No. <laughs> or I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I think we're safe to assume that that's probably true. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, I would think that this is like appealing to fans of the 80s comic and they want the hardbound because they want the artifact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was good. I'm glad you mentioned the colors. I was. It's sometimes every once in a while when we talk about digital versus physical, the color transfer uh, in the physical format tends to have a certain you know quality to it that digital either doesn't capture or you know because it's it's everything is a little bit heightened when there's a light right. green it doesn't quite come off the same way. So especially when we're talking about. Um, uh, period pieces, so to speak, as this were as this is, or like Watchmen's a great example too. I would never want to read Watchmen on an iPad. Like, there's something oh. about the way that color prints on that page that is essential to that story. And I think that's you know when I look at, um, you know, at some point we're going to discuss Dark Knight Returns in future episodes, and I've got a whole uh, probably very divisive spiel about that too. Um, but even things like um, oh, Killing Joke, Killing Joke's another another good one too. Like they went back and re, you know, they updated the coloring yeah. on the Killing Joke, and I happen to be one person who likes the newer version way better. But if you were to look at the old version, again, that on an iPad doesn't. It, there's something jarring to it because that. Keep in mind too, in the '80s, especially in the '80s, the 
the use of color and the use of print and saturation all went together very specifically for a very particular reason. So like, you know, they would use certain colors because they knew that the, the final ink output would be of a certain density. So it just all fit together. So you got to be careful when you're going back and if you're collecting or if you're, you know, again, if you're, if you're sort of trying to f- you know, find the best format for the, for the story or for the medium or the art at the time, like really keep those things in mind. Yeah, it's uh well I'm glad you made such a point about the color because that's something I I've read a few uh 90s comics on comicsology and um the color is always something that sort of throws me off. Like they tend it tends to look a little oversaturated yeah. on digital. Yeah. And exactly. I don't know if they've gone through some additional coloring, you know, like you said, I don't know if they've heightened those colors like on purpose in the transfer, like, yeah, yeah, we need to sort of like make this a little bit louder to stand out on digital or something. But in so many of the books we read where the uh, uh, color palettes are muted, it sort of makes me wonder about, you know, like if I were to read saga digitally, am I going to be thrown off by that color palette or something? But it's worth considering. I, you know, um, a lot of times digital is a great way to read comics from the eighties and nineties. Um, I've almost several times I have almost made it through uh, the original civil war series or <laughs> uh, nightfall series. Um, b- both of which are a different experience on digital. I've never actually completed either of those books. They're both so freaking huge. Like not the, the civil war, uh, the original civil war itself is very contained to like 12 issues, but they had all of these thrown in single issues that came out. And uh, so I have a collection of all of those that I've, it never quite made it through. <laughs> anyway, what did you pick this week? I can't believe I rambled for that long about that. <laughs> well, I hope I sounded intelligent. And I apologize already. We don't have a, a, a listenership that it, that gets angry at us. But I apologize if I sounded heteronormative in my <laughs> description of why people would like Teen Titans. Let's be honest, though. Like in the '80s, comics publishers were writing comics for young boys. So you're going to stuff's going to slip in. That's meant for young boys, but you know, to sell books. Well, you know, I, that, I mean, that is another clear line of like uh, the reason, one of the reasons people uh, think that like w- one of the reasons that sexists think that um, girls don't read or, and women don't read comic books is because they specifically designed them not to be read by, yeah. <laughs> by girls and women in every preceding decade yeah. you know it's yeah. sort of only like that's and they did read them um and thank god they did because like our some of our favorite creators are women most of our favorite creators are women i think yeah um well on that note on that note I'll my pick is 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 by a woman too um it is in I'll, I'll be quick with mine because it's this is so abstract there's really not i can't really delve into the details so much but it is um uh it is a book called a land called tarot a story art and design by gail bertrand and this is a little book that appeared first of all in the island monthly magazine which image oh. i don't think it's doing anymore strangely enough but like uh, a couple of years ago they had this really good run of the island couple of my previous picks started there as well um you know ancestor famously uh was a was an island uh story so the land called tarot popped up there and it was delightful because it is a book that has no dialogue whatsoever uh no character names not even onomatopoeias or anything like that it is it is purely 
just uh, frames and and you know there's it, there is a story and I'll get to that in a second, but is there's nothing there, so it's very very abstract. Um, as most of my little indie picks are. So to see this pop up in the island was kind of refreshing because you got you went from maybe an island story that was very very dialogue heavy or very sort of avant garde, and all of a sudden you know you then you flip the page and the next thing you'd see would be an issue of this where it's just like this crazy beautiful beautifully drawn abstract surrealist kind of thing. So I've got the hardcover. It's published by Image. You know, so after the island, uh, after it sort of concluded in the island, um, they pitched Image, and Image put out the the hardcover trade paperback. And it's just beautiful. It is it is heavily heavily built on the actual tarot cards themselves, like the actual like tarot card art you see, the story, the the symbology. There is a lot of symbology going on in this book. Uh, the baseline story is there's this young unnamed man who basically this kind of, he kind of adventures around. He's got, you know, sort of a a Don Quixote-esque armor on. um, And he's got this on again, off again, alpaca that he rides around on. And and sometimes he's by himself and sometimes he's with the alpaca, but it's this, it's this beautiful, like surrealist um, kind of future fantasy kind of world. And he just goes around um, investigating things, exploring things. And they all somehow tangentially tie back to, actual art or actual uh, symbols or motifs or characters from, from a, you know, the tarot deck itself. Um, And it's split into three or four chapters, but that's sort of meaningless because the stories like the actual narrative, you know, him, you know, the linear narrative of him, where he goes, what he does, they, they, you could, you could read this in any order and it wouldn't really matter. There's little things hinted at that, that you find in, in another chapter, but for the most part, it's pretty, it's pretty decentralized. Um, what is interesting is that you'll see like maybe a chapter conclude and then the next page is just a giant splash page of something completely unrelated, but really cool. And it may feature maybe like a castle or a character from another chapter later on, but it has nothing to do with the actual story. It's just sort of a, a moment in this, this kid's life. But he's our main protagonist. The, every, everything follows him um, for the most part. You don't know if he's a prince. You don't know. I mean, there's sort of something to suggest he might be. He may just be this adventurer that, you know, has been elevated in society. It's it's hard to tell. Like at some point he goes back and there's this crazy cool castle um, where there's like this kind of princess and this like wizard, like the sorceress woman and a giant like eagle king. Um, you know, who's, and they're all sitting there and like, there's this, this big jettison, this big kind of, a uh, um, stone, uh, alleyway jettisoning out over the, you know, over the expanse. And they're having, they're basically having breakfast sitting on this thing, just, just chatting. And you know, the guy, you know, the prince, uh, the, the, our main character rather comes up and, you know, chats with those guys. So there's little things that come back and forth. Um, the, the world that they build is very dreamlike. I swear I've dreamed some of these things before. It reminds me a lot of A Tale of Sand in that respect. Just very surrealistic. And in fact, A Tale of Sand is probably the best kind of counterpoint to this or the best sort of uh, you know, spiritual sibling, if you will. Because um, The Tale of Sand didn't have, you know, it had very little dialogue, but for the most part, it was just that one guy's journey. So very much hero's journey, kind of uh, surrealist imagery, but just gorgeous, gorgeous art. I mean, this I bought this, just so I could look at the pictures in one collection. Cause just, she really, she really, she, she weaves a lot of like classic, classic fantasy, some steampunk, um, God, just, you know, some, some technical, you know, some like technology driven sort of things, but it's so was, just, was this story and art 
by the same person? Yeah, it's all okay. by Gail Bertrand. She, she, our story, art, and design, all by her. So this is all. I actually hate to correct you, but that's a dude. It is a dude. Oh, seriously? <laughs> well, then never mind. Well, then. <laughs> Holy we, crap. I, both of our picks, totally sexist this week. <laughs> I could have sworn this was a woman because they even referred. I, I could have sworn reading something previously where they taught, they had mentioned her. So Gail Bertrand is a, well, there we go. I learned well, something, I, something I, new. I looked it up and it uh, hit his uh, deviant art. <laughs> so I'm going uh, the deviant art thing that says male United States. I, I don't really know. Um, Maybe there's another Gail Bertrand out there who's also a man. You know. I'm so sorry. I totally derailed it again. Well, shoot. But I love I love this story because it's very – there's kind of a loneliness to a lot of the, the panels. Like he the, – our main character is on this journey largely by himself. He, he doesn't quite – you know, you get the sense he doesn't really know exactly what he's looking for. He's just – he's wandering this land and interacting with these characters – you know, doing some detective work, he'll, you know, he'll find something that he has to take the stone to hear. And maybe there's a puzzle piece that he picked up before. He's like, Oh, this is where this goes. And, you know, he'll, he'll turn on something and he'll teleport somewhere else. And you know, maybe he fights a wolf and then, you know, he, he survives and goes over here. So there's just, there's a lot of it. You very much feel like you're with him, you know, kind of never ending story, you know, style you're with him on this journey. Um, so I like, I like a lot of that, but just honest to God, the panels themselves are so pretty. If you're a fan of this medium, if you're a fan of um, just collecting really inspired, interesting original art, like this, pick this up. It's it's only you now this particular one was, is retail at twenty bucks, but I'm sure you can find some used copies, um, you know, as well too. It's 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 great. I really can't say much more about it than that because it is. Again, there's no dialogue. There's no story. There's no. I mean, there's no like you know like like written narrative. There's no character names. Um, it is something you really just have to pick up and just kind of get lost in, and well, it it bears multiple rereadings. It's it's not something that you can feel like, oh, I'm done. I'll pick it up again. Like you can pick it up every week and and just marvel at it. So, uh, cool. I, I'll 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 jump in with questions then. Um, do you be in any way do you ever learn the name of the protagonist or no. any it, there is absolutely no dialogue whatsoever not even like a you know it doesn't even say like you know john or something below his yeah. you know below him as he tried like nothing no words at all the only words i think are there even chapter names yeah there are chapter names there's like a kind of a, a splash before the you know before the chapter transitions that does say a single word but that is it and the words are very vague and oh. like, for example, like it says, um, like the beginning of the second chapter just says, Le Batelure, B-A-T-E-L-E-U-R. And that's it. Nothing mm. else, no character names, no nothing. So you get, you, know, you, you meet some of the same people again and again. So you get a sense of who they are, but it's, it's again, just very, which I like too, because you could, you know, you could give this to a French comics fan or a Chinese right. comics fan and everybody will take, you know, this, it, you don't have to translate it. It could be very universal in that respect. Well, it, um, <clears throat> it very much, I, I was actually surprised when I hit that deviant art and saw United States because, uh, it, the art, you know, that I'm seeing on Google images is, so I get, uh, one sort of the feel of like the, uh, Miyazaki animation. Um, Yes. Does that make sense to you? And then, um, but also, uh, God, where was that panel I just saw? The, God, do you yes. remember? Okay, am I crazy? Is it, um, did uh, did Ralph Bakshi do the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit or something yep. like that? Oh, um, no, that was Rankin Bass, I think. I, I know what you're talking about. It's either Bakshi or Rankin Bass. It's one of those two. 
Um, yeah. And that it's, it's that there's, there's something to the fantasy, this kind of like, I mean, well, actually, I don't even know what else happens. I'm just looking at one panel, but it looks kind of fantastic. Like there's sort of a, a yeah. like a air, like a airplane airship that sort of has a sail, like a oh yeah, know, like a boat yeah. and things like that. So yeah, yeah, it's sort of that fantasy look of that 70s, 80s sort of. I think Bakshi was American, but but it's 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 vaguely European or something. Yeah, you know? it's, but it's, it's anachronistic, or it's like a different culture. You know, it's 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 not uh, American comic book looking. So it, I would say it is a wonderful meld of uh, the aesthetic and sensibility of of Moebius, whom I'm, not, I'm a huge fan of him. Yeah. Um, but it also has that uh, that Studio Ghibli look or Ghibli look that you'd mentioned before too, where it's, yeah. if you like, if it, it's beautifully rendered outdoor um, locations and that kind of, so that, that, that's how you get your studio Ghibli side. And even some of the, the, the way they draw the faces and, and, you know, the, the artic, you know, the, just uh, the articulations of the characters, how they move, how he, you know, how they move mm. through very, very similar to studio Ghibli, but it also has that, just that imaginative quality of Moebius, but it, it is not, yeah. you know, I, I, I stopped short of saying it's a perfect blend of those two. Cause it is, very much its own thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But heavily, you can just you can see a lot of influences. But um, just the fact that you know somebody took the tarot deck and decided to build a story around it, um, so just is itself very imaginative, just very original. Are there? I mean, because of the way Island works, um, you were only getting you were it was serialized through that yeah. magazine. So are there clear chapter breaks or like issue breaks within this collection? There are. Yeah. They, they just follow that. Exactly. Like I said, like you'll get, you know, as, as the chapters transition, you'll get like a white page, you know, that kind of tease up the next one, or you'll get like a splash page that's un- unconnected to the previous or, or following story, but it's just kind of there. But yeah, they, they, they collect it that way. It's not just one start to finish thing, which is why you can kind of, you can kind of poke around and you don't have to read it, read it in any particular order. Um, it all, it's kind of circular oh, okay. in that regard to, it's not, you know, it's not a linear story start to finish in, in, at all. Okay. So just sort of, uh, at the adventures of this one single protagonist through these different lenses of like vaguely the tarot cards. Yeah. Well, right? not, not, not even vaguely, like oh, very, okay. <laughs> like, like for example, he'll, I mean, I'm looking at a page right now towards the end where he, you know, he emerges from a lagoon in the middle of like a rocky canyon and there's a, a gate, like kind of a stone doorway, but above the stone, do- stone doorway, it has the number 13 in Roman numerals, you know? So like, that's the, the, the 13th tarot card. He walks in and he sees like kind of a Egyptian goddess kind of character holding two snakes and a lantern. So like, that's right off of one of the cards. Um, and like what he experiences there sort of takes on the meaning of that particular card. So I, it's, as you go through it, like read it once just as a fan, but then read it a second time and, and Google, you know, start have, have like the, you know, Wikipedia of tarot cards pulled up too. So you can kind of infer some of the sim, you know, symbolism and like what you're meant to take away of, of what his journey is or what's, you know, what's going on. Like another one, he takes a, uh, uh, kind of a floating boat ride across a giant chasm and the, and the sort of the grim reaper boat, you know, boat, uh, uh, yeah, I can't think of the name. Um, that guy, that character very much right off of, you know, another tarot card. Um, Roman numerals kind of kind of follow you around depending on what he's doing. So a lot of very deliberate um, use of tarot. I mean, the whole thing is is very much an homage to it, but it's it's not like it doesn't have that kind of weird occult feeling that I thought it might. Because you know, you hear like a land called tarot, you're like, oh, this is going to kind of be 
kind of a weird sort of thing that like Egon would have referenced in, you know, Ghostbusters or something. It's not that at all. It's very, very, very accessible. Like you could even give this to a little kid and they wouldn't be freaked out by it because it's, oh, okay. it's drawn so friendly. Huh. I, I believe the Greek boatman you were thinking of is a uh, Charon or Sharon. Yeah, it's meant to be. It's meant to be. Yeah. That <laughs> the one that who kind of a character ferries people across the, the river sticks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I only know that that's only top of mind because I have obsessive, obsessively been listening to a scorpion song from the seventies called sales of Karen. Ah, (laughs) (laughs) sorry. Uh, Todd's had a, uh, two and a half cups of coffee and is (laughs) ready to derail the conversation at any point. So you mentioned uh, hardback. Yep. Um, Why hard? Was there no paperback available? What what made you choose the hardback? So only available in this format. Um, Okay. I don't, I don't think since they've done a paperback, I don't know why they would. You you want this in physical form and in hardback. Like you, gotcha. it, this is very much a, like many of my picks, this is very much in like a you know an art book almost first and foremost that that happens to really utilize a lot of the graphic novel. Um, uh, does you know the way a graphic novel works is obviously applied, but it's you want this sitting on your shelf. You want to be you want to be able to pull it out. You want the big splash pages, you know, covering two pages in front of you. I don't think an iPad would deliver anywhere near the gotcha. the sort of. Um, you also the other thing too is you want to be able to see glimpses of other panels uh, as you go through it because it's. I mean, part of the fun is like you're looking at one thing, but then you you um, you know the next page you see a couple a couple frames of something that's like what is that? And so just it pulls you through. Um, I would not want to look at each, at each, uh, each frame, you know, one by one. I, awesome. I'm so glad you brought it. We've brought this up in other episodes, but that spread is one of the things that is a digital killer. Yes. You know, when you've got a two page spread. No. So is this printed in sort of normal, you know, eight by 11 dimensions, or is it even bigger than that? Nope. It's a nor- It sits on your shelf, just like a trade paperback oh, would. Perfect. Um, exact same size. It just happens to be hardcover, so it's just maybe slightly bevel. The bevels are bezel bezels slightly higher. Oh, did you um did you find it in a store or did you order it? I ordered it. I knew it was coming. I was oh, anxiously okay. waiting it. In fact, I had been pestering the island uh, kind of compilers or editors for a while. I'm like, I'm like, can we ever get the Land of Tarot as a standalone? Because at that point, they had put out three trades from island stories so I'm like, it's it's only a matter of time. And sure enough, they popped it out, and I was I was so happy because I it. I love, I still have my original islands and I love, you know, seeing these stories in the context of that magazine, but having them as standalone pieces are, is definitely uh, extra benefit. Really interesting. I mean, you called out uh, the Island series way back when, like you, yeah. you were reading it um, and there were a couple. Uh, so ancestor, I knew you would, you had talked about several times and then I'm, I'm frantically clicking through the image site. Like it is really impressive to think of all the, collected editions that you and I, you know, together have now owned because there's mm-hmm. one, there's one series that, that I ended up getting. I don't think I'd even knew that it was an Island until after I'd gotten it. And then you told me, uh, and crap, I cannot remember it. Um, and yeah, and, and you've, you've now bought a couple, um, but what a cool launching pad for image. And I assume yeah. that is like a really, you know, easier to do as digital, but sort of neater to get the, those magazines oh you want to grab the magazines every cover is completely different um and they're like and some of the stories they'll come back i mean the last one they published was uh, march of last year 2017 so they haven't done it for a while i I hope it comes back um if you the first just if you're a collector the first four or five i think at least the first four but i think maybe the first five issues of island 
um, they're a little beefier. Like the, they kind of moved to a more traditional kind of uh, magazine kind of format after that. But the first two, they're almost like trade paperbacks onto their own, onto themselves. So if you're collecting, get those first four, like they're, they really feel substantial. Uh, my particular favorite is the third, uh, just Google uh, image comics, comma Island number three. That's the one that really, like I saw that one. Okay. I need to, I need to start getting on this train and it's a great low impact way for image to introduce very, you know, very indie or, 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 um, off the, off the beaten path sorts of titles without having to give them a monthly, you know, a monthly order. Um, you know, so you can, you can do something like ancestor, which is edgy and, and weird and kind of off the cuff and have it appear an Island. And then like, if it works, yeah, then do a graphic novel after that or a trade right. paperback after that. Like that, that really worked well for them. And so I, I do hope it comes back. Yeah. Um, once again, uh, I've rambled a long time uh, on my pick and you have concisely told me about a book <laughs> that now I want to go pick up, um, which is why I like doing this show. Heck yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah, that uh, land of uh, land called tarot sounds I mean, and what I've seen, it just looks so cool. So um, that's probably one I'm going to add to my shelf as well. Uh, In the meantime, where can people find this podcast? You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, wherever you go. Hopefully soon Spotify. So keep that in mind. Um, Also, look for Coffee and Comics or the Todd and Taylor Show. We're kind of in this weird transition time. So if you uh, search Todd and Taylor Show, you'll find us. But hopefully we'll be popping up soon under just purely Coffee and Comics. Um, And then also you can find us online. We are find us there uh, on social media and then there.network is the website. Excellent. Um, Thank you very much, Taylor. We will uh, see everyone next time for another episode of coffee and comics. Bye-bye.